When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Can It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Watts from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill to Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! It's week seven. Who dat? Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak on Inside Black and Gold. Bring you the latest news and notes from this week and getting up for a short week on Thursday night football. Hopefully we get some more entertaining football that's been on these Thursday games. Two, two and four squads, the New Orleans Saints taking on the Arizona Cardinals in Glendale, Arizona. Jeff, it's been a, you know, a rough go still recovering from that Cincinnati Bengals loss. And it seems like there's also a lot of names still recovering on the injured list. Yeah. It hasn't been pleasant. These are two teams that are in very similar situations. Whoever wins this game is going to feel a lot better about themselves. And whoever loses this game is going to feel a lot worse. And there's no one better to dive into that with than Bo Brack. He is the host of the Phoenix Cardinals podcast. That's P-H-N-X Cardinals. And he talks about the Arizona Cardinals who play in Glendale, Arizona. It's a little confusing. It's a little confusing. But, you know. He'll get there. We'll talk about it. We're going to break down DeAndre Hopkins coming back. You know, they traded for Robbie Anderson, all that. He's going to get into it. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a weird week. There are a few players that the Saints should get back. And we're going to get into that a little bit. The most important one, in my opinion, Chris Olave has cleared the concussion protocol. And he has also been given the okay by the independent neurologist. That is what held him out last week. He had actually cleared all of his tests last week, but he had not been cleared by the independent neurologist. So he did not play. But here's what he had to say about playing this week. Yeah, I'm 100%. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be ready on Thursday. Uh, just taking it day by day. Uh, get better tomorrow and be ready on Thursday. Uh, it's been long. It's been a long process, a lot of tests. Uh, but they're just looking after me at the end of the day. Uh, I, I respect that. I respect the, the, how much care I got from, from the trainers and 
uh, taking the right steps in the right direction. Uh, I feel like it was a, a good week, and I'm ready to get back to it. It looks like they're still going to be without Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry. They haven't gotten on the practice field yet. Uh, Deontay Hardy's obviously on injured reserve, so he's not an option. But getting Chris Olave back and at least have one of your top weapons, you know, that's only going to mean good things. And, hey, he's rested. Yeah, that's a huge positive, obviously. It's just so disheartening, I guess, still not to see, though, Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry even practicing or around this team right now. I feel like they're missing an action and, you know, I wasn't I wasn't expecting anything, honestly, this week. But like I've said before, I just wish we could just see their bodies in the building. So there's kind of that inkling that maybe they're close. At this point, I'm just counting the bodies that are there. And, <laughs> you know, it's not even worth talking about anymore like, until they get back on the field. Like, it's like, OK, they are not a part of the equation. Can the other pieces add up to a win? Right. The guy who is interesting to me is Peyton Turner because we haven't really seen him at all, but he did get back to practice this week. He's limited. He's been in the locker room. So I think, you know, I feel like it's unlikely today that he plays on Thursday. You know, if it was a, but if it was a full week, I would be, I would be wondering whether he'd be back. So maybe next week, maybe week, uh, what is it? So this would be week seven. So maybe week eight for him. One guy we saw in the locker room today, you know, there's a lot of injuries to keep track of. One guy we saw in the locker room today was Adam Troutman. You know, he had that ankle injury. It looked really bad. And he went off the field. It was like a non-contact injury. So anytime that happens, you're like, oh, man, like, you know, what is it? You know, he got his ankle retaped. He actually went back in the game. But then, you know, it must have just been too much. And he missed the end of that game. But, you know, he's walking around. He doesn't have any brace or anything on that ankle. So you, that's a good sign, even though he hasn't practiced yet this week. Yeah, I was really surprised, obviously, since, you know, we saw him. He went down, got carted off to the locker room, came back got taped up in the injury tent, went back out there, then collapsed there on the field. So you kind of feared the worst. But yeah, seeing him today in good spirits, even though he didn't practice, but not having any kind of wrap or brace on that foot is a huge positive for that ankle. Another guy we did see too was uh, Trevor Penning walking around the locker room in an injury boot. And, you know, it sounds like his recovery process is going well and we could be seeing him sooner rather than later, as a quote from Dennis Allen loved to say. Yeah, well, not tomorrow. No, um, not tomorrow. This is a significant thing for him because I have seen him several times at the facility and in the locker room, but he had been riding one of those little scooters. You know, you put your knee on it and you scoot around. And so that means that you were not putting any weight on that foot. So that's that's why you would ride one of those things around. Yeah. So today, he was still in the boot. But he was just walking around normally, which means he has he has advanced to kind of weight bearing work. You know, he's still not doing any real rehab in terms of football stuff with that boot on. But the fact that he's now gotten to a point where he can walk around on it, you know, he's a big these linemen are big dudes, right? So three hundred pounds walking around on an injured foot, you know, obviously that's a that's a step that for a normal person, you might have a much easier time doing that than a three hundred pound offensive lineman. That's a lot of weight on it. He said that he's a few weeks out from getting back to work, which was always kind of the target, right? It was always kind of November when you were expecting to see him back. So that means that he is definitely on track for what you were hoping for. And that's a good sign. Hopefully they can get him back toward the end of the regular season. But there was one other guy on injured reserve that sounds like he's going to be put back on the active roster after this week. You know, he's returned to practice and he could be eligible to come back Thursday if the Saints think he's ready and that is cornerback Alante Taylor he went on injured reserve after week two so this would be kind of that four-week window where he can come back so that's a good sign he was talking in the locker room today and anytime that happens it's usually a pretty good indicator that you're close to coming back 
Yeah, and I don't know exactly if he'll be ready to go uh, this week, but it would be a major positive if he could just because of the fact we still have corner Marshawn Lattimore still not practicing with his abdomen issue. And I, I don't I don't think he's going to end up playing even if we see him in a limited form on Wednesday at all be just because, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be ready to go dealing with a bruised kidney, I believe, is what the reports are spleen, for a lot of work. I thought it was a spleen. One of those major organs. <laughs> it's an organ. You bruise an yeah. organ. And anytime you're bruising an organ, it means you got hit pretty hard <laughs> in the area of that organ. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I would be stunned if you see Marshawn out, out there. And so that's always the turnaround from Sunday to Thursday. If you weren't ready to play on Sunday. It's usually, you know, tough to be ready to play four days later. Like what's really changed in four days. Um, but Chris Olave is an inter- a unique situation because he wasn't hurt. It was right. just a matter of when they said he could come back on the field. The interesting thing that he said too, was that it's not his first concussion. He's actually had a concussion before. So that's just, you know, maybe he just has a very sturdy brain. But he did. He also did say that he went out. The lights went out for him on the field. Uh, so he was glad that they they gave him that touchdown, which he found out about in the locker room because he was already off the field by the time they finished that review. That's something to watch. I don't think that Elante Taylor would start, even if he is back. You're still probably going to see, I would bet money that you're still going to see Paulson Adebo and Bradley Roby, you know, splitting right. the field. And that is an interesting difference from when you have Marshawn out there versus when you have Roby and Adebo because you're not shadowing anyone. So you have, I think in this case, against the Bengals, Roby took the left side of the field and Adebo took the right side of the field. Now there are some advantages in that in you can get really comfortable um, in what you're doing and kind of the sides of your body that, you know, your steps are the same. You're not constantly changing them. So you can really kind of drill down on your technique on that side of the field. But what it does allow is for the other team to pick who is covering your top receiver, right? I think the Saints would have preferred to have a Debo covering Jamar, right? And you kind of saw it throughout the game. They kind of split. And in that yeah. big moment late in the game, it was Roby. And that's why kind of dedicating a player to one side of the field, you know, is a bit is a bit more of a challenge because that means that they can put their best receiver on whichever cornerback they deem most susceptible. And I think that's what they did. And so this is a team that you're facing in the Arizona Cardinals getting DeAndre Hopkins back. So it's another situation where, you know, you're not shadowing anyone. So you they can choose who's covering him. And I have a feeling it's going to end up being Roby if they kind of if they don't kind of adjust their, their defensive coverage like that. But either way, getting Taylor back, getting Alante Taylor back is big for depth because I was terrified of what might happen if like one of those two guys went down and you were stuck with, you know, Chris Harris <laughs> on the outside. That's not what you want. Yeah, another positive for the secondary, too, on this injury report, the fact that uh, Marcus May, the safety who's been dealing with a rib issue, had been limited at practice. Of course, he did return to play last week, but now on Tuesday's injury report, at least, he was a full go, which is the lone player who was at least upgraded on this estimated injury report from Monday, which, man, it, it's it's a mile long with 14 names on there. Yeah, well, and the the only the only saving grace is the Cardinals are in the exact same situation. Like they right. they don't I don't know who their running back is going to be, but uh, Daryl Williams and James Conner didn't practice either, and Eno Benjamin, who's their third string running back, is dealing with yeah. an injury. So you know this is a this is a Cardinals team that is not any better off, and we're going to hear a lot more about that from Bo Brack in the next segment. Um, but yeah, so obviously we went through this whole thing. We haven't even talked about the quarterback yet. Right. Um, we do Amazingly. not know. 
whether Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton is going to get the start. They are now both dealing with back injuries. They were both limited in practice. So, you know, the positive thing you can say there is the Cardinals also have no clue who's going to start at quarterback. But I will say, like, in, in most instances, you would say, okay, well, Andy has a better chance to start because, as Dennis Allen said after the game on Sunday, Jameis isn't 100% healthy. Well, you know, in this case, Andy's also dealing with an injury, and Andy played on Sunday, and Andy is 35 years old. So you have to wonder, you know, is it whatever percentage Jameis is at, is that going to be a better option in terms of health than whatever Andy's at, you know? Because that's a tough turnaround for anybody, let alone a 35-year-old veteran quarterback. And I did think it was interesting what Dennis said after the game, which was he's not 100% healthy. Yeah. Because what you hear from everybody throughout the course of a season is that you're the, no one in that locker room is 100% healthy, right? So he doesn't have to necessarily be 100% healthy to play. The question is, what percentage does he have to be at the play? And that's what I'm hoping to ask him about tomorrow if we ever talk to Dennis again. We got the coordinators today. Walking into practice today, I was almost wondering if – I was going to see Taysom Hill in a red jersey with the quarterbacks, but no, he's he was still in a white jersey working with the offense. I will say that Jameis Winston appeared in very high spirits, higher than normal, dancing around, looked like he was moving well. But while we were getting shuffled out after our short little window of getting to see the team practice, it did look like Andy Dalton was taking your first team reps over, over Winston, which it wouldn't surprise me, though, if Winston did take over. Uh, either in this game if they were holding him out last week just to get him ready for this Thursday night game it's it's been a lot a really unpredictable with the Saints and how they've been doing some things I'm really curious on how are they really waiting for Jameis like Dennis Allen said to be 100% because as you mentioned there's nobody at this point in the season right now that is 100% healthy yeah I, I don't know I would bet on Jameis starting Thursday yes Okay. Uh, that would be my that would be my guess, but I wouldn't be stunned if Taysom Hill ends up being the starting quarterback, right? So it's like you know the one positive you can say about this is the Saints. There can't possibly be a book on the Saints yet because their offense could be so many different things, <laughs> and yeah, the the problem is none of them are good, or at least none of them are like your peak that you'd want. But at least you can say that they're difficult to prepare for. Yeah, hopefully, I'd love to play the Seattle defense every week. Yeah, well, the Cardinals. Only scored nine points. I went on a Cardinals podcast uh, earlier in the day and they were talking about like, oh, what do you think the Saints can do? And I was like, well, all I know is the Saints put up 30 more points than the Cardinals did against what I would argue was the worst defense in the NFL. Right. Um, so that's a decent sign for the Saints. <laughs> but yeah, n neither of these teams are in a very good situation. We're going to get into a lot of that. One guy who I think is in good health and is in good spirits and you're going to see a lot more of is Rashid Shahid. He got one touch against the Bengals. He went 44 yards for a touchdown. To the uh, house. You know, and didn't touch the ball again. He was involved, right? He did have a target early in the game, and he missed him. But I was able to catch up with Rashid in the locker room. Obviously, we played his interview the other day, so I was able to catch up with him again and kind of talk about that play, and uh, here's what he had. Congrats on your first touchdown. You know, what happened on that play? Uh, well, it was a play. It was a fly sweep, and the exact play that we've been practicing all week, and it looked exactly the same out on the field. Um, you know, Quez did a great job of um, getting his guys' eyes and coming down and cracking on the safety. And from that point, it was just, you know, just run. And I made two cuts, and, you know, 
plays like that, it's just it's key that you know the other ten guys just do their job, and all I have to do is run. So it's, yeah, it's cool. it, it seemed like that that handoff. You know, when you're trying to get that, is it like is the goal to make it as just seamless as possible? Like he turns and it's like right in your hip. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a quick little a little turn yeah. of the hip bone, and you know he just he just gives it to me. Um, it was it was weird kind of getting the handoff just because it was my first one. You know, in in the NFL game. And, um, but it was like I said, it was exactly how we practiced and it was smooth, so yeah. it's perfect. That's got to be a dream, right? Like your first touch in an NFL game, you're in the end, or at least yeah. you know, obviously it was the kick return, but on offense, yeah. you know, that, yeah. like did that kind of go through your head when, when that was happening? Honestly, when it was happening, nothing that much was going through my head. I kind of yeah. just just blacked out. Um, you know, I got to the sidelines and then I was like, whoa, that really just just happened. But it was it was a really cool experience. You know, all my teammates were excited for me when I got back to the sideline in this moment. I'll never forget. For yeah. sure. You know, and obviously, you know, going forward, you know, how did you feel everything in kick return went? Right, yeah, absolutely. I think it went good. Um, There's some things I think we kind of left out on the field a little bit, but, you know, just little things we cleaned up and, you know, big plays will happen. And then definitely expecting that going forward. Rashid is a guy who you want good things to happen for because he's like the nicest person in the world. And so it was cool to see him get that. You know, that's like a dream. As like I asked him, it was like it's people dream about coming into the NFL and touching the ball for the first time and just breaking all the way to the end zone. Like that doesn't happen. Like that's a really cool. It's a shame that it had to happen in a loss. And you can tell like, you know, it's always funny because he wants to be excited about that. He wants to get like, like, yeah, you know, except it was a loss. You can't get too happy, but. For him, that's gotta have, that had to have been the coolest moment. You know, you, you always hear that speed kills, and speed definitely runs in his family. Mom, dad, and both sisters are track stars. So, and I, I supposedly the youngest is the fastest of them all. Yeah, and I think Rashid did track at Weber State too. I I think I've been saying yeah. Weber State wrong. I think it's Weber State, and I've been saying Weber State ever since I heard of Damian Lillard. But it's Weber State. Fun fact. Yeah, I mean, it, it's cool that it happened for him. You know, it kind of shows you a glimpse of what his athleticism can do in this offense. And it's going to be on Pete Carmichael to get creative and find ways to incorporate him in the offense. Obviously, he's going to be involved in the kick and punt return game. I think it's it's inevitable that he returns a punt for a touchdown at some point. You know, it's only a matter of time when you, you can see you can see the ability, you can see the speed. And so, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a guy to keep watching and hopefully he can add... You know, especially in a week where you don't have a lot of your weapons at wide receiver, hopefully you can have add some of that field stretching. Obviously, you have Chris Olave back, so he's going to do a majority of the field stretching. But, you know, you're going to need Chris Olave in the intermediate parts of the field without Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry. So maybe maybe that'll help in terms of, you know, he can do some clear outs over the top and allow Chris Olave to, to get some work in. But I think that's going to wrap up that segment for us. We're going to come back. We're going to have Bo Brack, host of the Phoenix PHNX Cardinals podcast and Arizona Cardinals reporter. And we're going to get more of that. And I also want to talk about Taysom Hill and his role and what Pete Carmack had to say about it. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Go find out what it is. And there also must be a reason for why Taysom Hill and Rashid Shahid were not as heavily incorporated in that offense as you would have expected. And so we asked Pete Carmichael about that today, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, as, as the plays, obviously there's, there's more in the game plan for both those guys. 
going into the game, but it's just the way the flow of the game was going and that maybe they didn't get as many opportunities. And so that's something that, you know, I can do again. I can do a better job getting those guys on the field more. When he's, when he's serving as the backup quarterback, does that affect, you know, the number of snaps you have out there for it all? No, I don't think it, sh- I don't think it should. It doesn't. Uh, I think we, uh, you know, we feel really good when he's out on the field. Yeah, so the, the question I asked him there was, you know, whether when Taysom Hill is the backup quarterback, which he was serving as the backup quarterback in this game, which is what Dennis Allen said um, on Monday, Jameis was the emergency third string quarterback for that game. So Taysom Hill would have gone in if Andy Dalton had come gone down with an injury. But uh, based on what Pete Carmichael said, that did not affect Taysom Hill's snap count. And so Taysom had 15 snaps in this game compared to 23 snaps in week five. And it sounds like a lot less than it was, but you have to remember the Saints ran seven fewer plays in this game compared to the Seattle game. So Taysom was in on 30% of the offensive snaps against Seattle. He was in on 21% of the offensive snaps against Cincinnati. So it's not that big of a drop, but you know, it, it felt like he had less of an impact. Maybe it's because he didn't have, wasn't in on kick returns like he was against Seattle, but it definitely felt like they, they shied away from him in the run game in the second half. And it could have been due in part to the fact that after that 31 yard run, his next three carries went for, you know, two yards, zero yards, and negative one yard. Yeah, something also with Taysom we talked about while we did the, to see him throw more passes. He had four attempts, two completions in the game. We still are not seeing the pass catcher, Taysom Hill, really being utilized yet. And I just, it's a question for me. I don't know why his his involvement as a receiver isn't being incorporated. No, and and, and to me, it's not even like as a like a receiver. It's just finding ways to get him the ball. Yeah. So that he can do damage, right? Like, I don't think, you know, you need to force him the ball downfield. So, like, if he's in in a route combination and he's not open, you're not forcing him the ball. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It's, you know, you design plays where the goal is to get him the ball in space. So it's like, it's not about whether he's open because the design was to get him, was was done to get him open and the ball is going to him, like like on a screen. Right. Like, why haven't you seen Taysom getting the ball on a tight end screen? I mean, like, like that just seems like comp, like, like just, just common sense that you would try to do that. He's your best athlete and you want to get him the ball with blockers in front of him. And it just hasn't been done. And if I had one major critique, one major criticism of the offense at this point is it just has not been very creative. It has been very bland. You're seeing very basic concepts. Even the plays, they tried to get creative against the Bengals, and they just, you know, there was two plays where, you know, one, Taysom took the ball and kind of rolled out with Alvin kind of in the combination, and it was like, yeah, they're going to key on Taysom and Alvin. Why would you think that would work? It was one of those QB power sets, and so you had nine blockers, and realistically, like, the only thing you could do was either have Taysom run it or throw it to Alvin, and there was five defenders standing there waiting because – what else are they going to do but follow Taysom and Alvin? It was weird. You don't put the, anyone in conflict there, right? Like if you have Alvin going to one side of the field and Taysom going to the other side of the field, they have to make a decision on who they're going to follow. In that case, the only two players you care about are in one space and all the defenders are going to flow that direction. So that didn't work. And then earlier in the game, you had a, like a wildcat direct snap to Alvin. But again, you're not putting anyone in conflict. Every person on the defense is going to flow to Alvin and so what, what are his chances there? I, I just think for a team that 
has so few kind of weapons healthy right now, you have to be creative. You have to find ways to manufacture offense. And I just don't think they did that enough against the Bengals, or at least not well enough. No, even after, for a guy even like uh, Rashid Shahid, I know he was doing right. stuff in the return game, but he had the one jet sweep. And I'm not saying we need to keep running more jet sweeps, but I thought he'd be fly more sweep. involved in the offensive flow. Yeah, it was, it was a fly sweep. Just subtle, okay. subtle difference. But either way, yeah, I, exactly. Like that, that's the type of play where you're like, okay, you're finding ways to get people the ball, you know, and, and in places where they can do something with it. You know, and the Bengals were not ready for Rashid Shahid. They were ready for QB power, right? They played it well. So you gotta, you have to have, you know, you have to have counters, right? You, you have, you know, it's like you have a punch and then you have a counter punch, right? Like, like you, you're doing something to set up a play and then you have a, a counter off of that play that takes advantage of the defense expecting something else. And, it's that counter punch that you haven't had. Like it's the, the, the straight up, I'm going to jam it down your throat has worked. Yeah. What have you done to take advantage of that when it stops working, when they do load up to stop the run and where is the kind of creativity off of that? That's what you didn't see against the Bengals because they did like it worked early in the game, right? Like you ran, yeah, it was working great. You had a seven yard gain. You had a 39 yard gain and Actually, I think about a 31-yard gain. Either way. And Alvin was running well in the first half. And so what Cincinnati did was they loaded up. Every time Alvin was in the backfield, fired off the line at him. Like, they just went at him. They, they knew he, he was probably going to get the ball. There's no wide receivers, and we're going after him. Same thing with Taysom. Like, Eli Apple was never even considering covering on that, on that QB power. He just went straight up field and found Taysom and, and decked him. And it was, it was actually a great play by him. We yeah, I was give- really surprised he actually laid such a good lick. Yeah, like we can give Eli Apple all of the grief that he can handle. That was a heck of a hit. In most cases, cornerbacks aren't even going to make like, be able to make that tackle. Like the fact that he got to it was impressive, and the fact that he made it was impressive. He stopped Taysom dead in his tracks, right? Right. He had a rough game otherwise, but you don't see that happen very often. So you have to give him some shine for that. But yeah, I just think that that's if that's my criticism of Pete Carmichael is I just don't think he adjusts in game well enough, and you know maybe. Maybe it's something that you gain as you go. Obviously, he hasn't been calling plays for that long. It's only his sixth game in that role in terms of being a full-time play caller. You know, when you're when you're in a one-game setting and it's an offense that was designed by somebody else and the other team doesn't know what you're going to do, there's no book on you, that's one thing. Now we're six games in and you're developing tendencies and you're getting scouted and you have to self-scout yourself and you have to figure out what your tendencies are so you can break those. I don't think that has been done effectively to this point. And I don't know how much of that in the past was Drew, how much of that in the past was Sean, how much of that in the past was Pete doing it for Sean and Drew. <laughs> now it's all on Pete, and he has to do a better job of it. Yeah, and the thing for me, too, with this offense, I I guess you want, might want to give a little leeway to Carmichael just for the fact that it's been so inconsistent with see with injuries but I don't know I felt like the run game was working so well against the Bengals and they kind of got away from it and it got a little inconsistent Andy Dalton had an okay game but he he really struggled in the second half to get uh, the ball anywhere and I just I just thought that they didn't get enough back into the run game and for me I wanted more Taysom Hill I, I didn't think he had enough snaps the 15 were definitely not enough for me, and I wanted to see anything 
especially like I mentioned before, just more of a receiving element to the game for him. Yeah, see, uh, you know, I think they ran it enough in the second half. Like I said, the the Bengals were loading up against it to stop it, you know? So I don't think you want to just, you know, bash your head into a wall. But, you know, one of the things that this offense has done well in the past is like, even if it's not a traditional run, it works like a run and you are getting the ball away from the strength of the defense. So, you know, with those quick swing passes that Drew used to throw so often that you really just don't see anymore, right? right? Like, I don't think you saw a single... You saw one of those little swing passes. I think um, it was either against Minnesota or or Seattle early in the game. And that's the only one I think I can see. And to, to me, that's kind of that extended run game. Like, like, I still count that as a run. I still count a screen as a run because it's a tendency breaking run. I think that's where I want to see more. And, and it's like like whether it goes in the scorebook as a run or a pass. I want the the offense to force the defense to defend you in multiple locations. And to this point it's like either it's just Alvin in between the tackles, yeah, or or Taysom in between the tackles or Mark in between the tackles. You know, like you're not even running very many stretch plays. I haven't seen a ton of crack toss, but like it's just a very boring run offense and and it doesn't set up the pass game well now all that is to say they've run for over 200 yards in the last two games so you know maybe i'm overreacting but i think that when you're a bland offense it makes life a lot easier on the defense yeah absolutely and i mean we haven't even got into you know the the lack of finish from this saints defense last game and I, i can't say that they were gassed or tired at the end they just seem so ineffective against the athleticism of Joe Burrow. Uh, they were able to get to him, you know, three for three sacks. But uh, in all, he was able to move his way around, get free. And I don't know, that that, that last play to, to chase as well just seems inexcusable from a unit that was supposed to be this team's strength. And we've just seen... Uh, so many times that in the big situations, they've they've let the team down. I've had a problem with the pass rush all season. I don't think that they're generating enough pressure up front, specifically in the middle. I don't know where a guy like David Onyemata has gone at all. I, I feel like his force hasn't been felt at all this year. I agree with that. I don't think you've done nearly enough in the middle of the defense, in the middle of the defensive line. Yeah, I think the ends have been fine. I, ha- I haven't had an issue with the, the pressure from the ends, but you know, you have been getting run out the middle on one of the one of the things that the Saints did in this game that I hadn't seen from them previously is they sent a lot of a gap pressure with the linebackers. Like you saw, Pete, Pete Warner, Demario Davis, Caden Ellis. You know, they all had sacks in this game, and I think that is a product of you don't feel comfortable sitting back in coverage and you know you're going to get picked apart because you know you obviously don't have a lot of more you know you're playing much softer defensive front in the back end so you're trying to force that ball to come out hot and so I don't know how much of that is the interior pressure versus the the outside pressure you got to tackle Joe Burrow when you get to him like that that to me was a bigger deal than the pressure itself like you got pressure on Joe like the the play he was scrambled in for the touchdown you, you got pressure he evaded it and then you were unable to get him down. There was a third down and four, I believe, in the fourth quarter where Pete Werner and Demario Davis had him just down a barrel, and they kind of fell over each other, and Joe spun out and converted it for a first down, and that was on that drive for a field goal that made it a two-point game, right? So, like, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if the pressure is the issue more than like, it's not composed pressure. It's not pressure that understands where it needs to be and how it needs to operate. Because pressuring a quarterback, you know, only works if you actually end the play. If you get excessive pressure on a quarterback and then he escapes it, then you're nowhere near him, right? Because you have created a lane for him. And that's what happened on both those plays. And, and to me, it's like the contain was the bigger issue than the rush itself. But that's that still falls on the on the on the DN. So, yeah, I mean, that's a long, long way of saying I agree with you. I mean, a positive, maybe, you know, we mentioned Peyton Turner earlier just to get another body into that rotation. But we just really haven't seen still much from him at all. Been been disappointing since, you know, he got drafted last year. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like, you know, I don't have anything to say because he hasn't been out there. And another one, I, I joked with you today. It's like, okay, he was back at practice. Uh, I, I worried that with him back on the field, oh my gosh, is Marcus Davenport around? Because I feel like he, you never see those two together. Yeah. Have you, has anyone ever seen them in the same place at the same time without a helmet on? Right. Are we sure they're not just like running back and forth real fast? The um, lockers are kind of close to each other, but no, they're not the same person, but same size. That's true. No, I mean, they're very similar players. <laughs> There's no question about it. And they're very similar in the sense that they haven't been healthy throughout their careers early on. But again, you have to give Marcus credit. We can we can complain about the production all we want. One of the biggest criticisms of that man is that he has been hurt throughout his entire career. He hasn't even appeared on an injury report this season. He got his finger chopped off to be more to try to be more effective. So, you know, you have to give him credit for you know taking care of his body and getting on the field and staying on the field. Thanks for tuning in to another Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Coming up, we're going to have Bo Brack, Arizona Cardinals reporter and host of the Phoenix Cardinals podcast, PHNX, coming up right after this on Inside Black and Gold. We're back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason, and we found him. Our guest, Bo Brock, host of the Phoenix Cardinals podcast. That's PHNX. Go, go find it. Go give it five stars. And he's also a reporter for the Arizona Cardinals. How you doing, Bo? I'm doing great, Jeff. Steve, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So if you're doing great, you're doing better than the Cardinals and the Saints because they are both in the dumpster right now they are two and four in an nfl where no one has a good record which is a good thing and a bad thing it's a good thing because you're never out of it it's a bad thing because you should have beaten the teams that are all three and three both divisions no one in them has a record better than three and three so it feels like this is a game where one of the teams is going to leave it feeling better about themselves and one of them is going to feel worse about themselves and it's really just a matter of who wants the loss less right yeah, I mean, that, that summarizes it actually quite well. I mean, at least the Saints have, you know, on their resume, a win over the Seahawks and, and their, their offense performed against the Seahawks, a, a group that the Arizona Cardinals have invested heavily in. It's like the defense, they put no money towards and the defense has shown up the last couple of games. But then you've got this offense that you just invested primarily in your quarterback, Kyler Murray, and give him all the weapons he could have ever dreamed of. And they were held out of the end zone for a second time this season. So frustration reached a boiling point last week. Guys, they're hoping that DeAndre Hopkins is, is set to return from suspension on Thursday night. I think they believe like he's going to descend from 
from the top of the stadium <laughs> into the middle of the field and be like this cure-all to all their offensive woes, which he's going to make an impact, no doubt about it. But, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to remedy all these issues. We know that, you know, both teams obviously dealing with a slew of injuries. One really concerning, I guess you would say, for the Cardinals is who's going to be your guys running back come Thursday night with all the tailbacks that are, are suffering injuries right now. I see even third string popped up on the injury report this week. Yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, positions that it was – Kind of head scratching coming out of training camp preseason that this is a one back uh, offense and they kept five and you're like, well, holy crap, that, that's a ton. And then next thing you know, they were down to one, you know, Benjamin, a seventh round pick from a couple of seasons ago, played locally here at Arizona state. And you know, the fan base here, a lot of them are proud sun devils and they wanted to see him get this opportunity. But beyond that, they've got a six round pick and Keontae Ingram who they're excited about, but he was only active for the first time last week. So there's your running back core, and then you got a couple guys that you added off the street. Corey Clement, you remember him playing for Philly a couple seasons ago, and then uh, Tyson Williams, who played for the Baltimore Ravens. So it, it really is a position in flux, but I think Eno Benjamin can hold it down. But this team, guys, has been trailing all season long. Like the running back position has been a moot point just because they have they've been chasing leads all, all season long, trying to rally from behind. So they can't really get any kind of run game going because they're down seven, 10, 14 points before you know it because this offense has been so stagnant out of the gates. Yeah, so I mean, you know, for, for someone who just watched the Andy Dalton and, <laughs> and wide receiver list Saints put up 39 on the Seahawks a week after the Lions put up 45, what exactly is the breakdown in the Cardinals offense? Because I would have thought that nine points against that defense, which I think it might be the worst defense in the NFL. I didn't think that was possible. I, I didn't watch a second of that game. I'm going to be honest. I didn't have time. We've, we played on Sunday. It's now Tuesday. But, you know, how, how did that happen? Can I blow your mind even more? Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> the, the special team scored a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> I mean they – they just the offense did nothing. It, it was it was really shocking when you looked at it. I mean, as far as across the board, Seattle was a putrid defense. Like this should have been in in some it should have resembled somewhat of a get right game for this offense. And it was the exact opposite. Like it was just it it like I said, frustration and reached a boiling point with this offense. And it was, you know, I, a mix of of play calling. You know, there's a frustration with Head coach Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who, you know, if you look at his his resume, obviously, but we, at the NFL level, guys, at the NFL level, because we can we can talk about his resume at the college ranks where he was 35 and 40. He was fired from his alma mater, Texas Tech, but he, he's improved every year. This team has improved offensively every year in every major statistical, statistical category, and now they've just regressed. And it, it's been a big thing without DeAndre Hopkins, but it, it shouldn't be a parody of itself like it was last week. And uh, it, it was – they. They had they were down to a backup kicker that they'd signed off the street that they had zero zero confidence in. So they were going on it, going on like fourth and four and fourth and long when they weren't trusting the kicker. And and that would have helped put points on the board. But the fact remains they were held out of the end zone. Like they had like they weren't even getting close to the red zone. They were decent between the twenties. There's some huge flaws as far as the play calling and the execution. And that that's just an ugly marriage right now for this offense. And and you know, Kyler Murray. I know it's going to be nice to get Hopkins back, but you know, what were the expectations for week one for a guy who hasn't played since early last December? Now you mentioned with Kyler Murray, is there a disconnect with him and the head coach? Is it, there's still any animosity with him in the franchise over no. that, the, some of the details in the contract there, 
Or is he a guy just waiting for the new Call of Duty to come out? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, the, the criticism is is fair in in as far as you know, are are you skeptical whether or not he can he can put it together? I mean, this is a guy who's a offensive rookie of the year. He's a two time Pro Bowler. He's as skilled as is you know as you can possibly be at the quarterback position. And this is his fourth year in the season in this in in the in the system. And and he was a hand picked quarterback for Cliff Kingsbury. Um, I, I, I think it's a, it's a huge slump, uh, you know, whether or not they can make the proper adjustment. I think that the league is caught up with Kingsbury's system and he needs to play the game of chess. That is the NFL and he's not doing it. So he's not doing, he's either making the wrong adjustments or he's just not making any. And, and Kyler Murray is the one that's suffering, uh, a ton from that as far as, you know, how defenses are able to kind of game plan for the Cardinals and know exactly what they're doing. They're just playing with their turn signal on. So I think that Kyler Murray, you know, they just need to put together a solid game plan. He needs to get in the rhythm and he needs to, you know, last week they were encouraged the first couple of drives. I mean, this was a team that was outscored 38, nothing in the first quarter and finally put up their first, first quarter points last week against Seattle. They have three now. I mean, rejoice, everybody, throw a party. But they just absolutely just need to fi- find a way to get on the scoreboard in the end zone. And DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, the numbers are eye-popping. Like, with him in the lineup and what the red zone offense looks like and how how productive it can be. But now they have to say, okay, they can point to that and say, that's been the issue, guys. And, this is, and now we're going to trend in the right direction. But like a lot of things with this team, like actions are going to speak way louder than the words that we've been hearing that are now kind of falling on deaf ears that's week six, week seven now of the season. This is something that I've thought for a while. And so I'm I'm glad that you're on here so I can run it by someone who knows better. Whenever I see Kyler Murray run, he looks just like Super Mario. Okay. Like how it's like all, it's all legs. Like uh-huh. his body stays completely still and he's like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look it up. I think it's fair. I had a chance. Yeah. When he, when he gets like the, the star and he's. Yeah. Because he gets going and it's like he's got these little legs, but he's turning them real fast. Anyway, so keep that in mind. I I was sorry. I thought that the the one that you know was took the internet by storm about how he looked like a toddler that stole his parents' phone. I mean that one's right. tough. I mean, like you can you hear all the short jokes, you know, when you're when I've been covering him as long as I have, but that one was good. That one was really good. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so I guess where I was going with that is, you know, this is a Saints team that has struggled against mobile quarterbacks. They've struggled against specifically mobile quarterbacks that operate in RPO-heavy schemes. And, you know, not, I I am far from an expert on the Cliff Kingsbury offense, but typically when you're dealing with college systems, you're going to see a lot of that. And mm. I would say Cliff's system was, you know, is very college-like. Um, so, you know, I'm just curious, is that something that the Saints are going to have to deal with in this game by your estimation? Because, you know, we've seen them struggle against the Falcons. They have an RPO-heavy offense. We've seen them struggle against the Eagles. They have an RPO-heavy offense. So what are the Saints getting into with this matchup? Yeah, I think that they're going to uh, – There's been, there was a little reluctance, I think, to to really utilize Kyler Murray. And Cliff had said throughout – Kingsbury had said throughout the offseason that Kyler doesn't like to run. You know, he, he wants to establish himself as a passer first and foremost. But now out of necessity and for people clamoring for it, I think that there's been an emphasis on it. Um, he had a hundred yards last game against Seattle and you know, the first drive, he had a huge 40 yard run. And I think that they're starting to really incorporate RPOs, design runs, things that if you were the head coach of Kyler Murray, you would absolutely want in your playbook. So I think that, yeah, absolutely. They're going to take that step forward this week. And, you know, I'm sure that, 
they've watched as much, if not, you know, way more game film than we have. You would anticipate that Cliff Kingsbury is looking to be another team with a mobile quarterback to, to you know, pull out more of their RPO material and, and put it on full display come Thursday night football. Are you anticipating that uh, Robbie Anderson will be ready to go Thursday night after they just acquired him? Yeah, according to Kingsbury, he's going to be used in select packages. You know, he's uh, yeah. he's kind of you know what his skill set is, right? It's run just straight, run, yeah, <laughs> run straight, run fast. But you know, that's something that they've been lacking. I mean, as far as he's got the four three speed, he's got the six three height. They've got the speed on in the lineup, but they don't have the diversity as far as the height. I think that Robbie Anderson should. You know, it's not going to be a ton of plays, but he's going to have his his opportunities. And you guys have seen him in the NFC South for so long. He hasn't burned the Saints in his career, but you know, you've seen him, highlights of him where he can he can he can take the top off a of defense and he can make a play. And if the Cardinals get one of those, two of those, it's you know one or two more than they've really gotten consistently throughout the year. So Robbie Anderson, I think, especially with DeAndre Hopkins on the field, like you have to account for DeAndre. So you know, if you can get a play or two where you think you've got a shot one-on-one and he can get that separation, they're going to take. Yeah. I mean, we all know what Robbie's going to do, which is, you know, run straight. So I, I feel like that's pretty easy to incorporate in the offense. Just don't, right. just don't try to run any, like, like he has some familiarity. Like the, the receivers coach is the guy he played under in New York. For okay. the Jets. So there's yeah. a little familiarity. So it's not like he's coming in blind. Gotcha. And you know, the, the, I'm going to draw another comparison to the Panthers here, which is we, I went on a Panthers podcast and they were like, man, Matt Rule is very close to being fired. If they lose this game to the Saints, I think he might be fired. They won the game. It, I'm pretty sure it's what bought him three more what weeks a week. as an NFL head coach. And I'm curious, by your estimation, is Cliff close to that? Because no, okay, he's, he's, he's got a five-year extension in uh, in, Jan- right. in February. This is an organization that views just any progress as progress. Like, like they're not in the same. They're not lockstep with the fan base. Where okay, you've got this this quarterback that you feel is the franchise quarterback and that, you know, if you surround them with the right parts that you need to be contending for the NFC championship or, you know, be in the Super Bowl each and every year. This is a, this is a team that, you know, is realistic that in 2018, they had one of the worst rosters in the league and that they had to dig themselves out of that gigantic hole. And, you know, they they pivoted off of a, you know, one and done head coach in Steve Wilkes. They pivoted off a first round quarterback in Josh Rosen to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And then that first year they figured out, could those guys work together? And they decided yes. And then the next season, you know, they go from five wins to eight wins to knocking on the door of the playoffs to a playoff appearance. You know, they were the last undefeated team last year. So this organization, they've seen nothing but progress up until this two and four start from Cliff Kingsbury. So, you know, the first time things kind of go awry, you're just going to say, hey, if you're two and five, we're going to show you the door. I think that sets a tremendously poor precedent from your organization that said, you know, no coach is going to get any grace unless they're just winning, winning, winning. And uh, it, it's kind of like an SEC type entitlement. Like, Hey, if you're not playing in the CFP, you're a massive failure. Like the Cardinals, they just view progress as progress. You know, one problem that the saints have had is uh, something that the Cardinals don't have an issue with right now is turnovers. And uh, they've been pretty good at holding on to the football. Um how has their defense, though, been with the takeaways? And I know we, you know, everybody knows the the big name of J.J. Watt over there, but who else has been uh, a star maybe on that side of the ball? That side of the ball, I, I kind of feel bad just myself, like not giving him much credit in the few minutes that we've talked about. The defense, the defense has been has been solid, like outside of the week one against Kansas City, who can really embarrass you, anybody. You know, the Arizona Cardinals defense, the defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, uh, has done really well with 
a, a group that they haven't sank any dollars into outside of Watt, outside of Buda Baker, uh, a homegrown guy. Um, you know, Jalen Thompson has been great. He plays the safety position next to Buda Baker. That's a solid unit. The, def- the defensive backs, which was a unit that everybody was down on, has played tremendous through the first couple of weeks of the season. Wide receiver ones, they average like, I think uh, like 10 points per game. If you're in the fantasy football, like at max against this group and they, they, they just like DK Metcalf. It took him until the fourth quarter to get his first catch. AJ Brown had three catches for 32 yards. Devonte Adams had 12 yards. Like, and, and the reason for that is Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy jr. Is in his fourth season out of Washington. He's a former second round pick of this team. And he's just been a beast. You know, he, he's the, He's at best and the inside corner slot corner position. And then if you can get some guys to play outside at a, at an NFL caliber level, they're going to put him inside and that's where he's best suited. Uh, It's playing in a very decent clip where they really are kind of questionable is the outside linebacker pass rush position, still trying to fill the void left by Chandler Jones. Um, Sure. Good job. Not paying Chandler Jones a bunch of money because he's not as productive and probably wasn't worth all that but they weren't able to kind of find somebody to fill in. They've got Marcus Golden, finally got his first sack, but then they've got a lot of youngsters that they need to kind of come up and come through quickly here on the fly in order to generate any pass rush. Most of the pressure is coming from in the interior of this defensive line, guys. It is Watt. It's Zach Allen. It's Rashard Lawrence, who you guys are familiar with playing at LSU back in the day. So we're talking to Bo Brock, host of the Phoenix Cardinals podcast. That's P. H-N-X. Go check it out wherever you get your podcast. And one more thing, and this isn't even really a question. It's just a note, and I'm going to let you respond to it, and then I'll let you go, is uh, the one really interesting element of this game to me is you go back to 2019, the last time the Saints and Cardinals met. It was uh, coming off of Teddy Bridgewater starting five games, and then it was Drew Brees coming back for a break to mm-hmm. beat the Arizona Cardinals, and it's you're in a similar situation this year, right? You, you don't know which quarterback you're going to see, and it yep. might be the starter coming back after an extended absence with injury. That was in the Superdome. This is in Glendale, obviously, but I just think that's kind of a an interesting bookend to uh, to this kind yeah. of and if, if you're the Cardinals, you hope for just a different result, right? I mean, they were just like a happy-to-be-their team. That was like the, hey, let's see if this Cliff Kyler experiment is even worth you know pursuing further than this, and, and they – they figured that out, but that game wasn't close, right? But it was like, hey, here are two short quarterbacks. There, you know, there's that's that's where the, the comp ends. But like, could Kyler Murray be, you know, Drew Brees type player? And Drew Brees just was way, you know, as far as just a, a pocket passer, a completely different type of cal- caliber quarterback. But yeah, I see it for sure. That was a interesting time. It feels like light years away. Yeah, it was one of those games where it's like the the Cardinals lost, but it's still you went away thinking like, yeah, that that team's going to be good uh, pretty soon. Yeah. Real quick, just wondering, what is the home field advantage like there? I know that the, unfortunately, Cardinals have not won a game in State Farm Stadium yet, but uh, from my limited time getting to visit the area, I know that very passionate fan base. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, it's a, it, it, it gets loud. It's it's uh, very passionate in the Red Sea. The Cardinals fans, sometimes too many opposing. They call themselves the Red Sea? Yeah, yeah, the Rise Up Red Sea and – you know, they make a lot of noise, you know, close to 70,000 people packed into that stadium and, and they're passionate and they know exactly when to get up and cheer and when to, you know, be loud and be quiet. And uh, unfortunately, this team has lost eight straight at home, guys. They haven't won since October 24th wow. of 2021. The last time they won at home was against the Houston Texans. That was Zach Ertz, Cardinals debut. J.J. Huh. Watt played against his former team and then he was 
pretty much out for the season after that. It's been a sludge at home. Cardinals, it's been every home game this year. They're 0-3 at home uh, leading up to it. We're asking these guys, you know, what what can they do to get this kind of in this slump? And they'll do anything at this time. I'm sure they're going to, like, sacrifice a live chicken before this game. I don't know what they're going to do. It's scary because that sounds very familiar to what happened to the Saints going into Carolina. Uh, What was that, week three or week four? Uh, Carolina hadn't won a game. Uh, I think it was eight, nine straight at home. And the Saints are back. You know, we're back in Carolina the last time they had won a home game. And they gave them another one, as we had mentioned before, extending Matt Rule's limited stay there. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Hopefully they'll be the slump buster that the Cardinals need. Honestly, a slump buster. Um, <laughs> so I have one more small question. Do they still have a natural grass field? Yeah. So they roll it out. You know, it's a it's a dome. It's a retractable dome, but they also have a retractable field. So they just roll it outside the stadium. And they're able to maintain it. It took a – the Chiefs were upset about it. They wanted to blame a couple injuries about on it. It's like it's natural grass. It's, it's fine. Like it's actually right. one of the better manicured fields. It's like everybody has injuries. Sorry, team. You well, know, it's – Turf is actually more, yeah, you know, more of an injury-causing thing. That's why I think it's interesting because I remember from the Super Bowl. I think it was the Giants um, and the Patriots in 2012, maybe, where yeah. they showed him this wheeling that thing in and out. In and out. I just thought it was fascinating. But I wish more stadiums did that because I hate that field turf. I, I feel like yeah. it ends careers. It does. Yeah, it does. So I was I was really shocked to hear some team, you know, had some sort of issue with it. it it's something that has actually been one of the better. Uh, trains across the league and and then yeah tip of the cap the Cardinals for that they don't mess with it it's not like they change things up right before the start of the season those they've been practicing it on it since training camp so if they don't trust it with their guys why why would they trust it with other teams players no doubt so that's what the Saints are going to be playing on this weekend we've been talking to Bo Brock host of the Phoenix Cardinals podcast PHNX go check it out give him five stars You've been listening to Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Thanks so much, Bo, for uh, stopping by. And uh, let's see what happens on Thursday night. I'm not ready for football yet, but we're going to have to watch it either way. I know. I feel the same way. It's just, I hate the short weeks. Give it to me on Sunday. And now we're going to have Black Friday football. Uh, yeah, it's, man. It's overload. The only benefit is now we get kind of a day off on the weekend because our teams are playing Thursday. I'll take that. Yeah, I, I will take that. Talk to me on Sunday when I'm just sitting on the couch. I'm here for it, Steve. All right, guys. Well, Steve, enjoy your time here in the desert, and uh, hopefully talk to you guys soon. Hopefully see you Thursday, man. Thank you. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here on Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone who listened. Make sure to head over wherever you get your podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Give us five stars. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. As always, it's been fun. Let's see if the Saints can dig themselves out of the barrel. That's not the right metaphor, but I'm sticking with it. We need some exciting Thursday night football, and it's time for the black and gold to deliver. Yes. Who that?